Welcome to the new school. What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the New School Video Podcast. My name is Candace Carlton. I'm your host. I'm also head of advisor education at Bicom Partners. So this is our first episode with an outside guest, and we couldn't be more excited. Emlyn Miles Mattinglin is the CEO of Gen Next Wealth. He's also the creator and host of the Minority Money podcast. So I met Emlyn just over a year ago, and at the time, his podcast was just an idea. Since then, he's been producing it consistently. He's garnered a lot of attention, and he's actually experiencing a 92% conversion rate and tremendous growth in his business because of it. He's also a guest on podcasts across our industry, including the Ultraist podcast, XYPN Radio, and the Kitsis podcast. In this episode, he talks about what it means to be new school, the impact it's had on his business, as well as what visual representation for minorities means and the impact of it. He talks about why as a black man, he finds it important to wear a suit whenever he speaks, as well as the sub-series of his podcast that he launched after George Floyd's death called the We Need to Talk series, addressing the industry at large and how everyone can rally together to be an ally. You don't want to miss this. I'm so excited to have you on. We were just talking about you and I met a year ago and mm -hmm. your business has just blown up in that time frame. It feels like such a short but long time. And mm -hmm. even as I was getting ready for our interview, like you're on like a million podcasts. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that until I, someone asked me, like, what podcasts are you on? And I started counting. I was like, oh, wow, th there is a lot. I, I just kind of happened. So I really wanted to have you on as a guest because I think that in every way, you really embody the new school. You show up authentically and vulnerably. You have a very heart-centered why on why you do your work. And can you tell us a little bit about that why? And it's, it's, it's part of your tagline of changing the complexion of wealth. Mm -hmm. What was the story or the moment where you knew like you had to do this? So the, the whole why, um, and I'll start from there. So my why started with, you know, every day I like to wake up and learn something new. And it excites me to be able to share what I've learned with someone in need of it not just randomly sharing business with people or sharing things with people, but with someone that's in, that's in need of it. And so from there, when we started thinking about like the show, and I think we talked about this actually, because I, I believe it was in April or March when we met. And so when we were thinking about the show, I was thinking, what name do we have? You know, what do we name it? And the tagline was actually going to be the name of the show. We were going to name it Changing the Complexion of Wealth. So the Changing the Complexion of Wealth podcast, we had kind of like the cow podcast thing going. And uh, what happened was I was like, but that's not direct enough. Like there's a group of people that I want to target with the message that I have to be able to 
fulfill my why of getting, you know, learning new things and sharing them with people that are in need of them. So when, when I was thinking about it, I was wrestling with it and I said, you know what, it is what it is. I'm just going to plant my, plant my flag in the ground and we are going to call it the minority money podcast. And, and the theme was going to be the change in the complexion of wealth. Um, terrified to do it, kind of scared to step out on my, on, on a limb and do it. However, the people that I wanted to serve deserve to know that I am talking to them specifically. And so with that, my already money podcast was born. Yeah. I remember. So if you're listening on Emily and I met, cause he's an XY planning network member and he came mm-hmm. to the growth marketing workshop. And mm-hmm. at the time, I think you were how far into launching your business were you independently? That was last year. So I think we were in year, we started in 17. I came in, started at the end of 17. So we really didn't start helping people until 18. So I was only a year in, a little over a year. You're a year in. And I think I remember you being in the workshop and you really mm-hmm. tuning in and having that heart centered why and mm-hmm. like knowing who you wanted to serve. And I think you brought up such a, a beautiful point because you were scared and you did it anyway because. Mm-hmm that if you didn't show up, the people that you were seeking to serve wouldn't get that change from you. Exactly. And and I think that's something that, you know, that just kind of embodies everything that's been going on is when people think or know that you are trying to serve them or trying to help them, then they start to find you. It's crazy. Like you, you heard it before, if you build it, they'll come. So I start building this business around minority families and lo and behold, here we go. So it's starting to grow now and it's just been uh, an incredible journey and I'm looking forward to, to, you know, the continued growth and, you know, my personal development, professional development and, you know, the development of the, of the firm. So we're, we're excited uh, of the direction that we're going right now. So, and then tell us a little bit more about that. Why? So you wanted to seek people that were needed the change that you wanted to create. Why the minority? Because I know minorities, you said, I want to remove the minority money mindset. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why it was I was focusing on minorities is because as my business started to grow when I was at the insurance shop that I worked at, what was happening is people were coming up to me and asking me questions, things that I would think that they would know the answer to, especially uh, some of the people that were, you know, in my mind had, you know, millions of dollars that they were trying to retire with. And they would come to me and they wouldn't know basic things about a trust. They wouldn't know what a will was. They wouldn't know how an advanced healthcare directive would work. They wouldn't know how important, you know, just budgeting and spending and just really, they, they didn't really understand the, the basic, some of the basic financial principles that you would think someone in their 50s or 60s would already know. And this was going on in large amounts of people. So it was like, you know, it wasn't, there was few people that actually understood what they had. And I had a lot of people that I'd start to find that they had products and not solutions, right? And I'll say that again, they were being provided with products, but not provided with solutions. And so undoubtedly that would lead them to have more confusion. People would always be scared to ask questions because as financial professionals, what we do a great job of is telling clients what they, oh, well, you don't understand this, you know, and and making things really convoluted and complicated so that they couldn't understand them. So it was my call, I guess, calling on, on, on me to, to be able to explain things to clients in the way that they can understand. Now, the funny thing is that as I started to do that, it's not like I only, I, I, I primarily work with minority families. However, I do have a lot of white families that work with me and say the same thing. Like you explain this in a way 
that no one's ever explained it for, before. And it's just making things simple. We'll use analogies. I, I've talked about it before. And I think, matter of fact, the first, I think you coached me on a video that I did. I might have posted it on Instagram or something. But it was about, it was about a Roth IRA. Okay. And so we just used a simple analogy. I'm in Madeira. It's a large farm town, our agricultural area all throughout the Central Valley. A uh, small plug for uh, my city, because you know I love my little city, Madeira. We are the geographical heart of California. So we're smack dab in the middle. With that being said, what happens here is we grow a lot of things. Okay. So it's a big ag place. And so the way I explain how the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA for my clients to make it make sense for them is I say, okay, if you were farming right now, would you want to pay taxes on the seed or would you want to pay taxes on the harvest? And they're like, well, obviously I'd want to pay taxes on the seed because when the harvest grows, it's going to be big. That's a Roth 401k. And they're like, oh, that makes sense now. Beautiful. It's like demystifying <laughs> financial services and all these concepts and using metaphor. So I think a very human approach to all of it. When you were launching the Minority Mindset podcast, why did you choose a podcast? I choose the podcast because it was a way for me to, I, I love to speak. Speaking is like one of my, one of my strengths and more so than writing. So it was either a blog or a podcast. And I was like, well, how can I, how can I, what can I do that I'll commit to 52 weeks? Cause that's all we committed to in minority money. I committed to 52 weeks when we start, I was like, I'm going to do it for 52 weeks. We'll see what happens. We'll trip, we'll fall, we'll do all this. And it was the most undisruptive way to my business for me to get out a message, excuse me, for people that, you know, I, I thought would, would want to hear it. So the podcast was just kind of natural for me. It was easy for me to speak and, and not write. What has been your biggest learnings or surprises in like looking at it a year later? <laughs> okay. So it's going to sound funny because people are going to say, well, like, yeah, you thought you were good at it. Like, but that how, how, how much I've learned and how much more comfortable I am on camera and speaking and like, it's just, it's crazy. So, you know, and, and how well received it is. Like, you don't know if people are gonna listen to this. And, and so it's just been kind of shocking, like to have, you know, even my friends. And I think, I think for me, it's really been, it means a lot when my friends are doing it. So we're, you know, when you could get together, yeah. we get together and they're like, oh yeah, man, I was listening to your podcast the other day. You were talking about this and this. And I'm like, you actually listen to the podcast or, yeah. You know, I, I see one of my friends and they're wearing my shirt or they posted a shirt about the Minority Money podcast or they're, you know, and it, it, that to me, it, it's fun when people you don't know do it. But when someone you know that knows you, that watched you grind, that seen you start from nothing, that watched you, you know, go through some adversity in life and then perhaps have them support you has been the biggest thing for me. And that, that means the world to me. I think it's absolutely true. It's like when you're in the grind and you're getting through it and then those people are supporting you. What is your has been your favorite episode so far and why? Wow. The We Need to Talk series was my favorite, absolute favorite thing that we've done on the show just because it was something, it was another chance. And it's crazy. Like we take a chance and it's been paying off. So we took a chance to be pretty candid on a show with Desarte Yarnway, Tyrone Ross Jr. and Samuel Dean. And when we recorded that show, we were just kind of raw. We just kind of let our emotions out, talked about what we were feeling at the time it was George Floyd and just sharing how we felt. It was so well received. I didn't know what, I mean, I kind of thought I was gonna do a series out of it. 
And then we had the next one and we had uh, black women on, we had uh, Angela Moore mm-hmm, and Chloe Moore. Yeah. And, and that one, and it just, and it was just awesome. So the whole series, and then the best part about it, I think not the best part, but the, I didn't want to just continue to have us talking about issues. I wanted us to have allies on it. So when we were able to have Sonia Dreisler, Justin mm-hmm. Castelli and Jason Wank on the show to talk about things that they could do as allies and, and for other folks that wanted to be allies, it was just, it was like, it was, I thought it was just a great showing of financial services, the industry coming together and saying, yeah, we, we believe in what you're trying to do and we support you. And it was one of the best feelings that I've, that I've had since we've had the show. I mean, I believe that because you were authentic, you were raw, you were vulnerable. And for anyone who's watching or listening, uh, the We Need to Talk series, you launched just after the George, George Floyd incident and mm-hmm. the reemergence of Black Lives Matter. And there was something that I thought was really interesting in it. And I'd love to, for you to like expand a little bit on it is like, what does it mean to you to when people say they want to be allies and your take on people saying, I want to say something, but I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So when, it, when, it, when the ally thing for me means that if someone's going to say something inappropriate in a room and I'm not there as an ally, you, I need to be there if you're there. Like I, you are a representation of the people that you are an ally for when they're not in the room. And I think that is the, that's, that's such a, a deep thing and, a, and it has to come from within you, right? Because it's going to be uncomfortable to speak up at a time when people are making, it's, it's, it's something that you see all the time, like whether they're making off-color jokes about someone's race, whether they're making off-color jokes about someone's sexual orientation, whether they're making off-color jokes about someone's upbringing, it, their culture, whatever. And if you consider yourself an ally, this is a time for you to be able to say, hey, you know what? we shouldn't do that. You know, we don't, that's not funny. You know, you shouldn't make fun of someone's race. You shouldn't make some fun of someone's sexual orientation, or you shouldn't just make fun of people because they're different. And when you can have, you know, as an ally, you can do that. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to really put people in their place. And, and because I think that there's a lot of group think that goes on in that where, you know, if there's a large group of people and they're all doing, you know, these things, then it makes it much easier for people to socially accept it. But if you step out and say something, you know, it's really going to, you know, make people think, because I think that's what an ally is. And if you think it's hard to say something, this is what I'll say to you. I mean, if it's hard not to you specifically, but just to the person that's saying it's hard to say something, try being the one of one person of color or the one person of, you know, a, a different sexual orientation, one person of, you know, a different ethnicity, a different, you know, culture, different upbringing, and to be in a room where you're not the dominant culture, the popular culture, or the popular group of people. If you're struggling to speak up in that place, think about how hard it is for someone like me to go into a room full of white advisors and have to speak. I want yeah, I once heard you talk on a podcast and I remember messaging you because I said, oh my God, I just wanted to stand up and cheer. And you had said, when you go and speak in public forums, that you dress up in a suit. Mm-hmm. Can you tell everyone why? Oh yeah, absolutely. So when I go somewhere and I'm speaking publicly, I dress in a suit because this may be the only time that they meet a black person. 
This no. may be the only time. And what do you mean by that? <laughs> I just this may be the only time that they're going to see a black person when they come in. So I, their first impression of me is what the, you know. I, I got to worry about what people are going to think when they see me. Like that's a real thing that I have to do, and I'm being you know just being candid with you. So I need to get dressed up. I need to look the part, if you will. And the other thing is that I need to make sure that if there's other people in the audience, especially if there's other black, younger people, especially when I'm going to school, if there's black young kids there or any kids of color, they need to see me dressed up. They need to see me as an authority figure and they need to understand that they can be what I am or yeah. even more. And, and I think that that is something that it, it, it really, it, it's just different when you're a kid and you can look up and you can see someone. And I, I talked about this. I've been on this, this kick with Spider-Man here recently because my son has just fallen in love with Spider-Man. And, and we'll even go back to Black Panther. Chadwick Boseman just passed away. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. And, and so, you know, for me, being 39 and, or, well, Black Panther came out two years ago, 2018, I believe. Yes. So it was... So I was 36 years old, or 37, I don't even know how old I was. I was 37 years old before I ever seen a black superhero that was the main character in a movie. Okay, I was, I was 30, 36 years old. It impacted me in such a way that, you know, it just made me think that I could do anything. And it wasn't about him being an athlete. It wasn't about him being a performer. It was about him being the king of a technologically advanced nation. And that was something that we had never seen before. So it was, it was, it was incredible to see an intelligent black king on TV, okay, in a movie. So I said that to say this, that when, and it's about, you know, me, this is still talking about me dressing up in a suit. When my son sees Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I think that's what it is, Spider-Verse, they have a little kid on there, his name's Miles Morales. Miles Morales is half black and half Latino. He speaks Spanish in the movie. My son speaks Spanish. Because sees, Mexican, right? Yeah, my, my wife's Mexican. Yeah, my wife is Mexican. And so my son speaks Spanish. My in-laws don't speak English. So I, I actually speak Spanish too, pretty good. And so he sees this little boy on TV and he's speaking Spanish. And you know what my son says? He says, that's Imlin. And he, because his name's Imlin. He's like, uh, Imlin, Imlin, that's Imlin. Uh, he's two years old. And if you think that visualization and representation are important, I have a two-year-old son that's telling me totally different. The first time we've watched Jurassic Park, we've watched Superman, we've watched all these other, we've watched every, you know, I'm a big comic book movie guy. So we've watched all kinds of things. We've watched Cars. This was the first time that he ever looked at the TV and said, that's me. Mm. Because the little boy was brown and he spoke Spanish and he could relate. And if visual, if representation doesn't matter, or you don't think it does, just take that little example of what that did for my son and him thinking that's who he could be. And me as an older grown man, looking at someone and saying, man, this is changing the way that I think about stuff. So yes, when I get up and I speak somewhere, it's important for me to be dressed up. It's important for me to wear a suit and it's important for me to carry myself in a way that people would be able to think that they could be better than me. I want them to be better than me. I don't want them to be good as me. I want them to be better than me. And that's, that's all important stuff to me. I really just. Who was that person for you when you were a kid that opened up the possibilities? What was the first experience that you can remember having thinking like you could do what you're doing now even? Mm -hmm. 
you know what? I, I really didn't have a direction. I didn't have that when I was growing up. I didn't really have like a, like a, I just knew that I was going to do something, something. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was going to be in finance. I didn't know. And I got into finance on accident. I really didn't have, there wasn't like a, there wasn't a person that I could look to. I didn't, I didn't grow up knowing my father. So my father and I don't have a relationship. So I didn't have like that strong black male role model. I mean, back when I was a kid, I guess it would be like Uncle Phil, you know, that that's what I would see on TV yeah. uh, on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But the Fresh Prince. I, I think about, you know, my, my, maybe one of my old football coaches, uh, we had Coach Fink and Coach Todd Lyle when I was a little kid, like when I was like 11, they would tell me that I could do anything that I put my mind to. I remember my across the street neighbor saying this, and it's crazy now when I see him. I remember when I was a kid, you know, he would say stuff and they would always talk to me about intelligence. And he'd say, he'd always punt, punt, touch my head and point, tap, tap me on my head like this and say, tap your head, tap your head. I'm like, what? He said, that's your strongest muscle you got right there. That's the strongest muscle you got. And I was like, what does he mean? You know, I'm like 10, yeah. 11. Like, what do you mean? He said, look, Emlyn, this is the strongest muscle you got. You need to make sure you're working that muscle. I'm telling you. So people seen something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And I still think that happens to this day. Cause I don't, I, I really don't, it's not just a, a humble, like a humility grab or trying to act on like, I really don't think like I'm all that. I really don't think much of myself. I just think that I'm going to work hard and, and things are going to happen. I mean, I think you're an amazing example of that. It's just like the consistency of everything. And you and I were having a little bit off camera talk at the beginning and you were saying like, my business is blown up. So tell us a little bit about that. Like your podcast, your message, the impact on your business. So with, with the business, it's, man, we've been blessed. We've been very blessed. I, what I think is happening is like you were saying, the messaging hasn't changed. I've been saying the same thing for years, but now I have a platform. Now people are starting to hear it. Now people are starting to say, oh, wow, he is, you know, he, he's not just saying it. He's doing what he says. The other day, yesterday, we were on a call. Because it's not that, it's like how you live. It's who you are. It's, what you believe, you know? So it's not like you're making up a value proposition outside of your business and being like, this is what we're going to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you reach in and just speak your truth. We, it, and this is an example of that. So yesterday, my assistant and I, uh, we've been growing. So I have, I, I hired an executive assistant. She is, uh, you know, shout out to Shaquana if she watches this. She's, she's my assistant. Shaquana. She's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. But what I was going to say is yesterday we were on a call with, with a prospect, mm-hmm. prospective client. And so she had sold her house. She had come into some money and I didn't even ask her how much money it was. Didn't matter. I said, you know, this is what you, this is what I think you should, you know, do. I said, you need to make sure that you have at least six to 12 months of emergency funds saved up. After you have six, I'd recommend 12. Everything after 12, you could probably, you know, think about trying to do some investments after that you know, and I don't really think that you need to be, you know, I just kind of gave her some, some, some advice about what I didn't think she needed to do. I was like, I don't think you need to be, you know, if someone comes to you and tells you you need to invest every dollar that you have. I think that's, you know, I don't think that's right. And, uh, you know, you need to keep some money in the bank and this and that. And we kind of went through a few things and we got off the phone and Shaquana said, Emlyn, you know, like, like you really like do what you say, like the message that you, she told me this yesterday. She was like, Emlyn, like what you say you're going to do and what, the way you carry yourself and how you care about people and you're not trying to chase money and do that kind of, she said, it comes across when you talk to people. She said, I just listened to you. And I'm like, cause I thought that, cause I got off the call and I was like, man, I sucked on that. Cause I was tired. It was the end of the day. I hadn't eaten anything yet. I was just like, man, I was kind of dragging through it. And uh, she said, 
No, it sounded great. Like you, like you, like really connected with her and didn't, you know, like with the with the prospect and and it's times like that when I think about just doing what's right. You can't go wrong making a right decision. So just make right decisions by your clients, and and you won't go wrong with that. And I think that's that's kind of what's been not kind of that's absolutely been what the success has been uh, attributed to. Because now what I do is after I have a meeting with a client based on our conversation and what they say, I will send them a podcast that I think is, you know, applicable to what they wanted to, you know, what they're trying to receive out of financial planning or investments or whatnot. And when I sent that, when I send that to them, I think I've, I had one person that didn't close. It just wasn't the right time for them, but everyone else, I have like, a, I mean, at least a 92% closing rate on that. 92%. So what do you attribute that to? I mean, I know from the outside, from everything you're talking about, but like if you were to tell someone else like what do you attribute that to if you were talking to another advisor what's what's the realness behind that repurpose your content Repur but even i think a step back from that it's like your business it's so authentically aligned with your why your message is so authentically aligned with your why and you're just in a matter of frequency and like serving your clients so you're in the space of empathy mm -hmm. And I, I guess that's what it is. I mean, I think that just, I think people pick up on vibes, you know, and I think that you put those good vibes out there and, and I think that things come back. And I don't want to just, like, I'm not the guy to to sit here and say, oh, I need to make this many social media posts or I need to make this many podcasts or I need to do this. I don't, I don't do it for that. I do it because I genuinely love just getting out information to people that need it. And so I think that comes across. And when people see that, and, and we're in this get rich quick scheme, you know, time where you have someone that's going to speak to you authentically, it, it's refreshing, you know, and, and I think that's where if you're an advisor and you're trying to get your find your tribe, like people always want to have this. I, I heard this in some class that I took last last March and April that, you know, like in the beautiful constraint book that we read and a few of the other books, but they talked about finding a tribe. You don't need. 200 people. You don't need 300 people. We have 57 households. And I talk about this all the time, 57 households where I can get on the phone. I can talk to everybody. I know everybody's name. I know everybody's kids names. I know every, you know, and that's all I needed to, to produce a six figure income with 57 clients in the less than three years. I've done this. And it's not because I'm the greatest advisor ever. It's not because of you know the best technology or the best tech stack or all the other nonsense that we spend time wasting on it's because i care about people and they know and that's what it's about that's all it is i mean i want to be like a word here like word. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth right and also here's the reality you're not for everyone either no no not at all so like, give us an example, because I think people are really scared about this, especially like advisors. They don't want to leave anyone out because they're like, they're like, I've got something valuable. Everybody needs it. And they're like, I'm going to do paid social. I'm going to do all these things for reach, you know, the, the Kardashian effect, because they're yeah. like, if I cast my net wide enough, I'll yeah. catch some fish, but it's actually the opposite is true. And like, you just beautifully demonstrate that. So Who's not for you? You know what? I, I don't have a lot of single clients. Like sometimes I have, a, I have a few single clients, but I don't market to single people. I just don't. Hmm. I'm not marketing to someone that's not going to have, like that's not trying to plan on their feet. Well, 
it's I think it's like a natural selection. Like I just, some people just don't like, they're not going to be a good fit for me. And, and I'll tell them, you know, I'll just tell the person if they're not a good fit. Like if they're not, if they're trying to get rich quick schemes, like if they're trying to do those kind of things, like I had a client or a person say, Hey, help me double my money. I said, Hey, help me double your habits. Let's yeah. get some better habits. You yeah. know, like it's not going to, so I would say that it's, it's not even a, it's, it's kind of crazy. Cause I, I, you know, I work with minorities, but I have some clients that are white, I think it's more of a personality fit than anything else. Like, it's not just, it's not just a, you know, like, like, oh, you have X amount of dollars or you can pay for it. It's not just about that. I think it's more of a, a, a fit. And like, I can tell when we're on the phone, if we're going to fit, if we're going to drive, we're like, we're like, eh, I don't think this is going to work. And then I refer them to someone else. <laughs> like I will refer, but every time I've referred someone away, I've gotten like two or three clients to come back, like two or three prospects to come back. I think that's once again, doing what's right for someone. If they don't fit with me and they're not gonna jive with what I'm doing, and it's not that I'm saying that I'm doing something right and, and they can only, I'm the only way, this is the only way to do it because I think there's so many different ways to do it. I just, I think when I, we just have to click and it's, it's kind of funny, but you just have to click. And if we don't click, then I'm just like, eh. Like I had a guy the other day, he reached out and he's case in point, older person, in his 66, getting ready to retire, wanted to roll over some of his money, was asking certain questions in the email that we had. I referred him out. I was like, this isn't my type of client. This isn't your type. And here's the thing. I think that part of your 92% close rate is because people are being pre-qualified through self-selection. So they're stalking you online, which is what we mm -hmm. all do. They're listening mm -hmm. to your podcast, maybe seeing a video or two that I know you're starting to create. And they're actually thinking, which is what we all do, would I enjoy working with Emlyn? Like, mm -hmm. am I aligned in his ethos? You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? They're mm -hmm. pre-qualifying themselves before they even reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's by continuing to put out authentic content because I'm not getting, like the person that I, that reached out to me via email had heard me on another podcast, not on my podcast, had heard me on another podcast and was like, hey, you know, um, I'm looking to work with, you know, and he asked specifically, he's like, I'm looking for minority advisors. Well, I'm not the one for you. I, I send you somewhere because it just didn't fit. And it wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't mad. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. I don't think he was upset. I think he appreciated yeah, the, the fact that we, you know, said that it's not going to, you know, you should probably go work with someone else and, um, and then send them a couple of, of, of names. And, and that's what we do because we want to stay true to who we are and, and stay authentic to what we're trying to provide and the services that we can. We know who we're going to work well with. And you're having tremendous success with that. I mean, congratulations. It's so exciting to like follow you and see everything that you're on. I mean, seriously. Emlyn, a couple questions for you to close out. So I want to maybe even, we'll see how we do this in the editing <laughs> to the front, but tell us about Emlyn the man. Emlyn mm -hmm. Emlyn the man. Yeah. Who is Emlyn? Emlyn is a only child. He's an only child who is incredibly driven. I don't know what it is about like, and, and I found out that, you know, cause people ask me what I do, what do you do? And this last weekend, you know, Emlyn, the man was, so we, my wife and I, we were out of town celebrating our anniversary and How someone many asked me, yeah. this is three, this is our third year. This is our third year. So talk about, talk about crazy craziness. So we get married and this is just a little side note, just to kind of give you like how we do things in the Miles Mattingly household. So we got married in September, 2017 got married. I quit my job at the insurance company, started a new firm and got pregnant, toured Europe all in 30 days. Like that's, wow. <laughs> like, 
so we, you know, we started our new, we started our new firm. And what I'll say is Imlin is an only child that's driven by driven and very relationship oriented. I'll say that because when I was a child, I think about, you know, when I, when I, and I'm an entrepreneur, like I'm, I've always been an entrepreneur and it took me too long to realize that that's something else that I, that we talked about my, my wife and I, because entrepreneurship has been something that I've always wanted to do. 11 years old, 12 years old, you had to be 12 to have your first paper route. Once you know, it doesn't surprise you that I had a paper route when I was 12. And I've done a lot of jobs. I had a lot of jobs and worked for a lot of people in between starting my firm. But when I really boiled it down to who I am, I am a relationship building individual that loves people. And so when I started my paper route, here you have this 12 year old boy, you know, my route, I had like three blocks all in my neighborhood. So I'd walk out there and as a paper route, you, you, you know, they deliver the papers, you have to pay for the papers. Then you go deliver your papers to your clients. Then you have to go collect your bill. So I'm 12 years old, knocking on the door, getting bills and understanding that if I can put the paper on their porch, they're going to, you know, tip me. And if I get tips, then I can go, you know, buy chips and other things that I want to do. Cause there's a little store at the, there's a seven 11 at the end of my route. So obviously I'm going to the seven 11. But what that showed me was the ability to build relationships with people at that young age. I was already doing it with kids on my team. I was already doing it with, you know, sports I was playing and, and things like that. But the ability to conversate with adults and carry myself in a way that they would, you know, show them respect and they would also respect me. And all of those same skills that I had translated because when we look at my business, I have the barbell approach, right? I have a lot of clients that I just do financial planning for. And I have a lot of clients that I just do investments for that are my older clients that would be the clients that I was probably delivering papers to when they were about my age. Wow. And so the relationships that I was able to build and the conversations that I was able to have with them at that young age, and then, you know, maybe they were my friends, parents or whatnot, they've always seen me like that. So when I started my business, because of those, the ability to talk to people that were older than me, it was easy for me to go out and talk to someone about retirement or go talk to them about what, you know, whatever financial topic we were talking about, because I was very comfortable from a young age speaking to people and conducting my business. And so Emlyn is an entrepreneur, a relationship driven entrepreneur. What is wave cap Wednesdays? <laughs> wave cap Wednesdays. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Oh man. I didn't know you were going to watch. I was, I was like, I wonder if she's going to, okay. So wave cap Wednesdays is this. So the other day we we're in uh, we we're in South Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe, right? We we're coming back from our honey or from our, from our vacation. And we were coming back and I was getting ready to put on my wave cap. Usually my wave cap, all it does is just, you know, put your hair down. So it looks nice. So it's not, not little flyaways and all that. And I was getting ready to put on my wave cap and I was like, oh man, we're over here. And it's, you know, South, South Lake Tahoe is really, really white. Let's just keep it 100, which is really white. And I was like, yeah. damn, if I put this on, people are going to automatically judge me if I have it on. And I was like, but all I'm trying to do is make sure my hair looks nice. Why do I have to worry about what people are going to think because I have my, my wave cap on because I want my hair to look nice. I'm going to take it off. I was like, you know what? We need to just get rid of this stigma about wave caps because automatically people are thinking that I could be a thug. Meanwhile, I'm getting on the, I'm getting on the elevator, right? And, and, I, and, and this is my wife tells me, Marty tells me this, get on and there's, you know, like I said, I'm just giving you an example. There's a white guy there, big tattoo all across his neck. He didn't care what people thought about him, but here I am worried about what my wave cap says on it 
in this yeah. neighborhood, like what my wave cap is going to, what people are going to think. And I said, you know what, I'm done with that. Yeah. So every Wednesday, we're going to have some type of post with me wearing a wave cap to make sure that we can demystify it. I, you know, I, you all, everyone that follows me knows I'm a business owner, knows I have my podcast. And yes, I wear a wave cap. That doesn't make me a thug. So that's what yeah. it's you're, you're a financial advisor, entrepreneur, and like CEO. So mm-hmm. I think it goes back to your whole idea of that visual identity. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's multifaceted. Mm-hmm. There's all of that. <laughs> what? De- I can't wait for Wave Cap Wednesday. I thought that was really delightful. I watched that. <laughs> I was watching a thing. It's um, Emlyn does a magnificent job with his Instagram li- uh, stories. It was on your mm-hmm. story. What does the new school mean to you? I think the new school means to me, it means to be authentic. It means to be real in this, in this fake it until you make it society, this flash your cash, this, you know, get rich quick scheme stuff. The new school is being authentic, being real and being vulnerable. When you do that, you can build a tribe by being authentic, real and vulnerable. And I think that if you're trying to build anything and it doesn't matter if it's a financial planning practice, doesn't matter if it's, you know, whatever you're trying to build your newspaper out, just be authentic. And, and that is what people want. And, and as much as we think they don't, we all desire that authenticity. We all love that vulnerability. There's nothing like seeing a person get vulnerable. There's nothing like seeing a man cry. There's nothing like seeing someone shed some tears. There's nothing like seeing someone be affectionate. And, and those are the things that I think are the new school things <laughs> because old school tells you to fake it. Old school tells you to tell people what they want to hear. Old school tells you to, you know, lie, cheat and steal to get where you want to be. And I think that in this given time, the more authentic you can be, the more success you'll have. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. And that is what I think the, 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 the problem is. People think that that authenticity or perfection is what people want. Fall in love with the journey, keep track of your progress, and be authentic. I mean, I couldn't say it better. So, Emlyn, we're going to share all your social handles and links, but where can people find you? Where's the most active you are? I'm really active on Instagram That's and Twitter. Those are my two biggest things. I'm on Facebook every once in a while, but Instagram and Twitter is where it's at, and that's just going to be E. Miles Mattingly, at, at E. Miles Mattingly. That's going to be my full, you know, Emlyn, but just, just the E and then Miles Mattingly, the last name. I don't think there's a, there's only five of us or six of us now. There's six Miles Mattingly's in the world. So you should be able to find me. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the New School Podcast. What a fabulous full circle to be part of the conversation when you were dreaming and thinking about mm-hmm. your podcast. I was a guest on your podcast talking mm-hmm. about meditation, not marketing, and and now to have you on the new school and to watch all your success it has just been such a delight thank you so much to anyone who's listening please subscribe or on apple podcasts or anywhere you find your podcasts as well as youtube we're testing between youtube and wistia we love both and if you know someone that you'd love to have on as a guest please send them our way or send this to a friend or loved one you know that it would help thank you